Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, the text for today is from Revelation 17, and we're not going to read the entire chapter. That's initially what we had planned for today, but man, it's kind of long. So for the, for the sake of just preaching and for brevity, we're doing verses 1 through 6, but I encourage you all to read the entire thing because what it, what it kind of opens up is, is an introduction to a concept that we're going to get into a little bit today. But it's so much bigger than just our text. And it, in fact, kind of explains the rest of the text a little bit too. So it's kind of helpful if you read all of it at some point. But this is um, the scene where John sees this thing happening and an angel comes to him and kind of guides him through it and then walks him through the explanation. So we're not going to read the explanation today, but John is seeing something, and it's this, this great big metaphor, this, this great big uh, symbolic metaphor of the way in which the, the kingdom of God is playing out right now here on earth. So this is Revelation chapter 19. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came, to, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, what's with the prostitute? <laughs> We're going to go right at it. <laughs> it's a weird one. You know, I've, I've said probably six or seven times now, I promised my wife I wasn't going to say hooker in church, but um, that's not true, by the way. I, I just like doing that because it <laughs> makes everybody uncomfortable. No, this, this is... A metaphor, and it's, it's got symbolic meaning to it, but I, I do want to intentionally unpack this, because metaphors, well, they, they go a certain distance, and they, they do a certain thing, but we all know that at some point, an analogy or a metaphor starts to break down a little bit, and I think especially sort of in our culture today, um, we, need, we need to be attentive to this, because there is you know, so much loaded into the, the discussion around gender and, and men, women, and, and everything else that is in our culture right now. So I want to be clear to say that, that this isn't about women, really, in any regard. But metaphorically, this works really well. It's just that we, we bring into it, into this thing, something that, that we're not supposed to, of our own culture, of our own um, current situation and dynamic. And, and that's unfortunate 
because it can kind of ruin a metaphor. So I was trying to think of a, a good metaphor for this dynamic of metaphors, and I thought of the, the one metaphor I think everybody's probably heard of, the one analogy that everyone knows. Life is like a box of... Right, everybody knows that. Forrest Gump. Everybody's aware of that. The, the connotation that that is supposed to sort of bring is like this nice, fun thing, these, these surprises, but they're all wonderful. You just don't know what kind of wonderful chocolate surprise that you're going to get next. Isn't that great? That's what life is like, sweet, lovely, surprising. But here's the thing. There's a box of chocolate that haunts my memory. You guys remember what C's chocolates are? I think I got a picture of them. Look at those C's candies. You, you think, well, that's, that's a lovely, delicious box of candy. What's the problem with this box of candy? It was made two years ago. <laughs> it was, it's probably three, five, ten years old in your, in your grandma's cupboard. No, what's the real problem with this? There's no map. Right? There's no map of what you're going to eat. So what, of course, are you, are you shooting for? Especially, think of the round ones. What are you hoping for in the round ones? Peanut butter, caramel, nougat. But one of them is a, a tiny little monster. One of them is a round little liar chocolate. And what's in that chocolate? Cherries. Cherries. Oh, come on. Right? It's the cherries. It's, you bite into it, and, and you're expecting like that, 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 what you want is the caramel. Everybody knows you want the caramel, right? You get that like resistance, and it's like the, in the chew, and it pulls, but instead, you get this thing that pops in your mouth, like a, like a fat grub worm or something, just pops the guts, in, like you bit into a zit or something, right? Just, <laughs> right? I hope that was gross. Because that's how I would feel. And then you got this thing, you're like, uh, and your parents are like, you got to finish it. You're like, uh, right? No, that, that analogy does not work for me. Life is like a box of chocolates. Gross. I don't want life to be like a box of chocolates without a map. I don't want the surprise. So you, you see kind of where the, the metaphor breaks down for me in particular. So in the same way, this, this metaphor of the, the prostitute can kind of break down a little bit, but what I want to do is draw our attention back earlier in the scripture to Revelation. We've got the scripture up on the screen here. Um, this is earlier, and this is a different woman. This is actually the, the Christmas text that we had. This is the woman who gives birth to a son, and the dragon is trying to destroy it. it says, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and a times and a half time. So earlier in our scripture, we had the imagery that, that we would say is, is both Mary, who literally gave birth to a male child that Satan literally tried to destroy, but then that woman kind of in the metaphor changes into the church. 
and she's hidden away and protected from, from Satan. And, and Satan can't destroy the church. Satan can't destroy the gospel message, can't destroy your faith or the, the faith of all of the believers. And this woman that is the church does all of those things that, that are traditionally womanly things. Comforts, nourishes, provides for, encourages, teaches, guides, leads, all, all of these things that we think of, of mom, right? We, we think the perfect mom, and not everybody had a perfect mom, don't get me wrong, but the perfect mom is the one who does the, the very first teaching of a child. When we come to faith and, and we are part of a congregation, part of a church, we get those basic lessons of faith. This is who Jesus is. This is what faith is. Here are the scriptures. And we start to walk on these, these new legs of faith and, and believe. And, and we put so much hope and trust in our church that proclaims Christ Jesus. This is all good stuff. All right? And, and even like the, the, the metaphor of the woman, you can even see it as a spouse, the perfect spouse, who is supposed to what? Be there for you in difficult times, in good and bad times. To walk with you through those, those challenging things. To give you comfort and encouragement that you can't find anywhere else in the world. This, this is the metaphor that, that works perfectly with the church, right? The, the perfect mom, the perfect spouse. This, this is what, what the, the Lord is painting for us in Revelation 12, of this woman, but in 17, we discover there's another woman, and this other woman, well, promises the same things, right? This, this is the dynamic the metaphor is looking for, promises the same things. I can give all of those things to you, but it's going to cost you. And she's making promises to us that she can't fulfill. That only that, that perfect mom or that perfect spouse could ever really perfectly fulfill. But she promises every one of them. And, and she looks like she can deliver them. She looks just like that perfect mom or that perfect spouse. She's just as lovely just as, as pure looking, just, just as sweet, just as kind. She makes all of these same promises to lure us in. And we're willing to pay a small amount or maybe a little bit more in order to, to get what she is promising. But over time, what we discover is that she's a liar, how many times have I said that during this year in this, this sermon series? The great pretender. I've tried singing it like two or three times in church. Promise I won't do it again, especially with this voice I got today. But that's, that's what Satan does. Satan tells you lies, but he's not going to tell you lies that you know are lies. He's not going to try and trick you by telling you something that is so far beyond the, the pale that none of us would believe. He's not going to tell you to worship that chair or worship this mug or worship this golden calf, which would never work for us today. 
but totally worked for the Israelites during the Exodus. What are we really talking about? What is this woman, this prostitute, the harlot in some versions? I, I looked. I couldn't find a single translation that said hooker. I looked and looked and looked. Couldn't find it. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking about idolatry. That's what it is. Second point in the sermon. Idolatry. What we're actually seeing in Revelation 17 is what, what the Lord lifts up to us as a terrible thing, idolatry. It's, it's the root of, it's the base or the catalyst of every sin that we commit is idolatry. And, and it's, it's hard sometimes to figure out what is the idol that moves me to gossip, or what is the idol that I hold at this level that moves me to lie or to cheat or to steal or this or that? But if you spend time just kind of introspectively like we're doing during Lent, looking through this, you'll find all of these sins are, are really intended to protect this thing, this idol that I have, or, or to elevate this idol that I have to solve this insecurity that, that I have, that I have made so important that I'm willing to break God's law, willing to not obey his word for that idol. So what I want you to do today is, is examine yourself. What is the idol? What is the idol of gossiping? <laughs> right? That's, that's a weird one. What? Do, do we really have an idol that causes us to gossip? What if it's your reputation? What if you are so concerned about what people think about you, you've placed that up on top of the shelf as your idol where God should be, that you're worried what other people think, so you, you gossip about other people with them so they're not talking about you. Or you cut them down. So people aren't looking at your insecurities. You're spreading the word to keep the attention somewhere else so nobody sees. You see how that, that's a simple one, right? It's, it seems like there's no idol behind gossiping. There absolutely is. There's always something that we hold dear and precious that we elevate, and from that, we sin. It's, it's a good and useful thing to, to try and sin less. <laughs> That's good. The Holy Spirit should be at work in your heart right now trying to root out all of your sinful behaviors, the, the actions, the thoughts, the attitudes, whatever it is, but, but you'll do greater work towards that end if with the Holy Spirit, you engage the Holy Spirit to discover what is my idol. And I want to look at the, the text I have for this particular point from Revelation 17. He carried me away. The, the, the angel carries him away in the spirit into a wilderness, saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, we deconstruct all of these specific things on Wednesday night. So if you really want to know what scarlet beast is talking about and all these things, check out the, the Wednesday evening Bible study recorded. I think we actually covered this last week, but it's recorded online or just Come Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, it works. But this scarlet beast that was full 
of blasphemous names. It had seven heads, ten horns. The blasphemous names. It's, it's not just curse words. It's not just bad words. It's just not, not just mean things or things like that, but blasphemous. To be blasphemous is, is to claim to be God or to claim that something is God or claim things of God that you shouldn't claim. That's, that's what it means to be blasphemous. Jesus was killed. He was charged and sentenced to death for the supposed crime of blasphemy because he claimed to be God. Well, it turns out he was the one of all who have ever lived who made that claim correctly. It wasn't blasphemy for Jesus to make this claim. It's blasphemy for me. It's blasphemy for you, for anybody else to claim that they are God, that they are the Son of God incarnate. When asked if, if he was, he said, I am, ego a me. He used the Greek construction of the phrase in the Old Testament where God says his name is Yahweh or I am. This is why Caiaphas tears his clothes and says, he is blaspheming. He took the Lord's name, not just in vain. He said he is the Lord. That's why the Jews say he should be sentenced to death. And here's the thing. They're right. <laughs> they were right in that that is the correct sentence for anyone or anything that claims to be God. They were just wrong <laughs> this one time because he was and is God. The evidence for this, the sentence to death, right? He, he was then killed, but the evidence that, that they were wrong, not in the sentence, but in the judgment of guilty, was that he was then raised from the dead. So there is this, the, the other side of that coin is the, the sentencing is right, but for the wrong person. The sentencing was right, but the judgment didn't land on the, wrong, on the right place because death is what blasphemy deserves. Death is the sentence for anyone, anything that holds the place of God that isn't God. This is why we kill sacred cows. <laughs> this is why we kill idols. This is why we don't tolerate idols. Because what they deserve is death. Because if they're left in that place, if the idol in, in your life is left there, then it will continue to run the rest of your life. If you leave an idol in place, you will always return to worship it. You will always return to elevate it. And she will make promises to you that she can't keep. She will, she will promise you security and comfort and peace if you just give a little more. If you just pay a little more. And it will cost you. The idol in your life that you're pursuing, maybe it is, maybe it is wealth. 
And, and this, is, this is an idol, not because wealth is wrong or bad. Wealth is, is, is something that comes from God that we should, we, we should be grateful we have, be generous with it, but, but having money, having wealth isn't sinful, but if it's the only thing that you're pursuing, if you believe that you will be safe and secure because you have this much money, there's a number in your head where you're thinking, this will, will make me secure and safe. When I'm older, I'll have enough too. When, when I get to that stage in life, I won't have to worry about my provision, my house, my home, or my health, or any. I'll be able to afford all of that if I just have this much money. What is that going to cost you? Well, not money. That's what you're, that's what you're saving or pursuing, might cost you your marriage. Might cost you your kids. Might cost you your entire family, your friends. Maybe it causes, costs you your, your dignity. Maybe it costs you your pride. Maybe you got to sacrifice things you would normally never sacrifice, do things you normally would never do. But this is the number, and this is the amount, and I'm going to chase this. There's a lot of things there. That's that's low-hanging fruit. That's an easy one. And everybody in the room is going, either, well, that's not me, I'm poor. No, you're not. (laughs) Or you're thinking, well, that's not me, I'm already rich. No, you're not. Or you're thinking, that's not me because I don't care about money. Yes, you do. That's an easy one. But for some of us, it is things like the, these insecurities from when we were uh, kids and, and our attempt to, to fix this thing of our, of our past. You know? and, and the way I'm going to do that is by making sure my kids have everything that I didn't have when I was growing up. Every opportunity, every last fun thing. We're going to do this. They're going to be in that. They're going to be successful with this. All of those different things are so focused on your kids. That's the sin. Your, your kids and, and your focus and attention is really rooted on this insecurity that is more important to you than anything. This hurt that you had when you were younger. My parents never my, my mom or my dad, they didn't, so I'm going to make sure I always do for my kids. This insecurity is more important than anything else, and I will pour all of my money. I'm not worried about getting to this level of, of money for retirement. I'm worried about pouring money into my kids, their opportunities, their things. Make sure, and maybe you're sacrificing, again, your marriage. Maybe you're sacrificing the certain integrity that you ought to be placing into your kids. But for sure, you're, you're placing hopes, you're, you're placing dreams, and you're even finding security in children. It should be the other way around. And I'm poking at people. It's Lent. I get to yell at you guys. That's how this works. <laughs> we have so many things in our lives, and, and Lent is the time to stop and say, 
are some of these things more important to me than the kingdom of God? Am I more afraid of losing my, my station in life, losing my home, my, my properties? Uh, am I more afraid of, of people knowing something about me, or my own reputation? Am I more afraid of these things than I am afraid of losing the kingdom of God? Because ultimately, that's the price of the prostitute. That's what the hooker wants. Wants your soul. That's what the prostitute is. The prostitute is, is the one who is saying, I can give you all of these things. Give me just a little bit more. Spend a little bit more time. Come back a few more times and just give me a little bit more of you in the hopes that eventually you'll give over your very soul and discover she gives none of this. And that the one you wanted was right over here the whole time. And, and here's the, the beauty of the woman in chapter 12. She just loves you. She just loves you. The, the church is, the, is, is not a building, right? Here's the church, here's the steeple, look inside, see all the people. That's not what it is. The church rightly understood isn't even just a bunch of people together who all believe in Jesus. The church is the place where all of the people who believe in Jesus come together, but then he manifests out of that himself, right? We went to a hockey game recently. That's great. A bunch of Christians went to a hockey game. They didn't go to church. <laughs> they didn't have church at the hockey game. Good for us to do. Good for Christians to get together. It's not church. Bunch of Christians get together, go to a Christian concert. There was one not too long ago here in Des Moines. Bunch of Christians get together. That's not church because church is where God manifests himself and he says, I am present with these people found in word and sacrament, found in the proclamation of Jesus, found in baptismal waters, found in the blood and the body of Christ given to us. It, where the church is is where Christ is. Right? And, and he just loves you freely. He doesn't ask anything of you. He, he doesn't want to take anything from you. He doesn't, he doesn't need more of your time, more of your energy, more of your resource. He doesn't say, give me more. Sacrifice your spouse. Sacrifice your family. Sacrifice your integrity. He's not asking for any of that. He is here to freely give like the perfect mother doesn't ask their child to contribute to the family, to pay for those hugs and comfort. The perfect spouse that doesn't make you pay for it, for that respect and love and kindness. I know that we, none of us, like I said earlier, none of us have perfect spouses, except my wife. None of us have you guys are really going to let that slide? Wow. <laughs> Expecting a lot more groans. None of us have a perfect spouse. None of us have a perfect mom or perfect parent. But we know what it would look like. That's why this metaphor in Revelation 17 is so powerful. Because we know what that should look like. Well, it should look like Christ. And, and that is the great gift of the gospel. 
Because remember, this one and only one who claimed to be God, made those promises, was killed, but then raised on that last day. This was not just an exercise of, see, I told you so. This was not just a, a matter of Jesus being like, I told you guys I was God. No, this was the process by which he made payment for us. You see how opposite that is from a prostitute? The prostitute never pays you. I'm not sure if you know how that works. I know you're all good Christian people, right? But this is not how it works. The exact opposite. The whole thing is, is flipped over upside down on top of its head when God says to us, I will make payment for you. I will not only provide for you the ultimate security, even if you're broke when you're old, God provides. Even if, if you don't have anything, he is, if you have no one, he is there for you. If you have nothing, he is all you need. If, if you have these insecurities from, from your trauma as a kid, it's, there's nothing in this life that's going to fix that, but Christ can. He can forgive, he can renew, he can heal your heart in ways nothing else in the world can. No amount of medication or therapies or anything. Those are all good and and blessed things, just like kids and wealth, all good stuff. But what is going to fix your heart is, is discovering and identifying what is your idol and then praying that the Holy Spirit would come with fire and sword and death to kill it, not diminish it, not, not sort of put it a little bit lower or hide it or mute it, kill it. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Even when we baptize, we talk about the old Adam being drowned. Christianity is spiritual violence against your sinful nature. Christianity, in that regard, is the most violent religion because it doesn't want to make you a little bit better or take your bad parts and make them not quite as worse. It wants to kill sin. It wants to kill your sinful nature. It wants to destroy it in the fire so that it's ashes and it's gone. And I know it doesn't happen in this world, but it happens in the world to come. And it, and it does have a cost to it. The cost is your own grave. But again, that's not something you must give. We just all die. But in that death, because we believe we are purified, made perfect, perfect, not not just forgiven perfect, but physically perfect to eternal life. The eternal life, because your name is written in the book of life. Last point in the sermon. Um, I went longer on that idolatry part than I thought I was going to. (laughs) But let's look at Revelation 17, 8 to 9 really quick. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about, that means it's always around, to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. 
and the dwellers on earth who have, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it is, was, and is not, and it is to come. Whatever, I read that wrong, it's fine. The point is, <laughs> the book of life from the foundation of the world. I want you to leave here worried because you may do some introspection and be like, I think I have a lot of idols. You do. We all do. But, but the Christian life is completed at the foundation of the world. Before you even existed, God wrote your name in the book of life knowing you would believe, knowing you would have faith, knowing you would have idols in your heart. But knowing that he sent his son to forgive. And that because his son forgives, he would send his spirit to wage war on your idols. And that you may die with plenty of idols still in your heart, but your name's in the book. You, you may start today discovering you have hundreds of idols and you may die with only dozens of idols, but your name is in the book. And this is the great joy of the woman, the perfect mother, the perfect spouse, that she loves even when you don't, that she nurtures and cares for even when you don't, that she, she will do anything to bring you home even when you rebel and run away and chase after idols. This perfect, perfect woman, Christ Jesus, <laughs> manifest in the church will pursue you and your idols by the power of the Holy Spirit to the very ends of the earth because your name is in the book. Amen. Uh, we're going to pray really quick while the kiddos come back in. If you would bow your heads and join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for writing my name in the book. Though I have chased after countless idols in my life and have many remaining in my heart, I know that you are a God who forgives and pardons that idolatry. And I know you are a God who sends a spirit to crush and destroy those idols. So I beg of you on behalf of everybody here, Holy Spirit, come to us to find our idols, those things that we elevate that we shouldn't, and kill them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand to receive the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.